it's not very often that I have a husband and wife on the show at the same time. Last time was with Jack and Patty Phillips of the ROI Institute. That was back in episode 69 on the topic of measuring the return on training investment. But today I have Tessa Sharp and Keith Jones, co-authors of Provoke, The Art of Transformative Facilitation. And the subtitle of that book is Creating Dynamic Learning in the Corporate World. The material in a book, of course, is interesting, often transformative, but the question is whether having one actually generates revenue. And my question, therefore, to Tess and Keith is, has writing the book Provoke led to training business opportunities for their brand, Alchemy Worldwide? And it appears that it has. So what does their business do? Who needs what they do? And how has their book increased their sales? And that's some of what we're going to cover in this next hour. This is episode 111 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, I'm Mark, and this is the Training Business Podcast. I'm the host of the show. And it's my pleasure to welcome you here. If it's your first time here, welcome. And if it's not your first time here, if you're a frequent listener, then welcome back. You know by now there is a fresh episode of this podcast every single Thursday on a range of podcast platforms. And ultimately, this is the show for people like you. If you've tuned in, you're here because you want to learn more about people doing what you do out there in the training business world. This is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants, just like you and me. And the goal of this episode and every episode, irrespective of the format, whether it's with guests or just you and I, the goal is to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. And for that reason, we have shows every single Thursday, and I'd love you to subscribe to the show. As I said before the music, we have two guests on the show today, which is not something we do very often. It's really three of us in your ears today, wherever you are, in the car, on the plane, or possibly not on the plane, but you could be traveling or resting, or even between meetings and you've grabbed some time to listen to this podcast as a loyal listener. But ultimately, today is a bit different because it's a longer format than normal. And secondly, we have two people on the show who want to explain the background to their training business. And it's quite interesting because they're very different people as they're quite uh, open to suggesting themselves. And ultimately, the book they've written has helped to establish their brand, identify to themselves exactly what they do and for whom they do it, who needs them, and of course, how to engage with them. And these are some of the reasons that people write books, training business owners write books, not just to make money from the book itself, meaning sales of the book, but often to set out their stall and explain to their prospective audience why they're different. And of course, the kind of work that they can do if they're engaged by prospects. And this is very exciting because this is something I'm going through right now. And one of the future episodes shortly will be with Alison Jones, who is CEO of a company that works with people who are consultants and trainers and coaches to help them to crystallize exactly what their message is and put that in a book, which of course can lead to 
revenue-generating opportunities, or in plain English, sales, in the form of training business income. But that's a future episode. For now, I'd like you just to tune in, grab a pen, and listen to what Tess and Keith have to say. Tessa, Keith, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. So the reason I invited you to be guests this week is for a number of reasons, in fact. Your book, your business, and of course, you yourselves, what your background is. So why don't we begin with this? You're two different people. You're a husband and wife team, and you run a training business. Why don't we go with what you do as individuals, and then we can talk about the combination of working together under the one roof as a brand. Sure. Brilliant. Good start. Tess, do you want to begin? Shall I kick off? Yeah, good idea. Okay. Well, you've already alluded, Mark, to the fact that Keith and I are actually very different as individuals. And I think part of that is what creates the strength in the work that we do together and the work that our clients <laughs> seem to really love. Um, so I tend to be the pragmatic uh, the pragmatic person. I'm more introvert by preference. Uh, I like to get stuff done and completed. I have a background of working in a large global values-driven retail business, i.e. the Body Shop International. I worked for over 12 years on a variety of different global strategic programs and ending my career there in 2000 as their uh, UK head of marketing. When I came out of the business, I was just so struck by how much potential, human potential there existed in the business that was untapped. And I wanted to learn more about how you can really untap that amazing potential that exists in business uh, through it, its people dynamic. So I went back to university, did a master's degree. And as I graduated, I was looking for consulting roles, which is where I first met Keith. Uh, so in 2004, we first met. We worked together on a variety of different global client programs of work. Uh, the consulting business that we were both working for, we had the opportunity to buy into, which each of us as individuals made an investment into that business. Um, that lasted for about three years when we it became clear to us that we wanted our business to go in one direction and the rest of the leadership team wanted the company to go in another direction. So in 2016, we founded our own business, Alchemy Worldwide. And as co-founders, we have led and grown and developed that business and our business content uh, con um, idea ever since. Um, so that's me. So, so that's a great intro. And, and I think again, having talked to you before this, what came across is you've got different skill sets and strengths, not just different perspectives as different people. Yes, very much so. So Keith, how about you? Very different to Tessa, I have to say. <laughs> I've, I've never worked for the body shop <laughs> or anything else to do with toiletries or banana scrub for that matter. <laughs> but um, I, I have, I, no, no, I mean, I, I, um, I've spent my life in the field of uh, psychology and applied psychology. And uh, originally for the first chunk of my time, that was spent in clinical and forensic. And then more latterly, I uh, switched over to organizational psychology. I think that, you know, when I think about both those two parts of a career, which has spanned now 43 years, 
in the both the study and the examination of human behavior, mine included, uh, you know, one of the things that has just been so profound about that experience are the thousands of people I've worked with, sat with, groups of people, um, has been just a profound journey uh, to a large extent. And as Tessa already indicated, you know, when I switched over from clinical uh, into organizational, I took on a senior role and I was the European director for KPMG International for their learning and organization development function based in Brussels. And that was that was a big role. So I had a, a, a learning and development remit for all the countries based in in Europe, uh, the Middle East and Africa, as well as a range of global projects. And then, as Tessa already indicated, I mean, I took on some various director roles after that, but um, uh, then we ended up buying a company. But I think the other part to my background, which is which is actually figural to the book, is that during my during my life, I have uh, followed, I have been students of some quite controversial characters, and uh, so. One of them being Osho or the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh from India. So I was one of those incredible orange people that they used to talk about wearing red robes and long hair. And the other was Werner Erhardt, the founder of Est in San Francisco back in the uh, late 60s and 70s. And both of those figures uh, had a dramatic effect on my life and career. So uh, very rich in the field of human understanding. So that <laughs> that's my intro. Very different to Tessa. <laughs> Tessa's chuckling. <laughs> okay, so you, you then joined together. And I have to ask you, what's it like working together as a husband and wife team? Because there are quite a few people who say to me, I'm working with my partner. I'm not sure if it's a good idea or it's going well, but can this last? What is your advice to people in that position? I think it's an I think it's an interesting point, and I don't know if Tess would agree with me, but I th- it, it does have an impact on uh, on your relationship. It's had an impact on our relationship. Has, I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't want to make a, a statement that all couples experience this, but you know there is a rhythm to um, couples where you know both will either be will go out to work or have different things to do during the day, and then come back and share those experiences. And it's very different when almost, not all of it, but Mm. almost all of your life is shared with a whole range of other people of which one part is your partner. And that changes things quite dramatically. Tess, I don't know what your views are. Yes, it does. I mean, certainly when you're woken up at three o'clock in the morning with, what do you think about this idea, (laughs) Tess? You know, it kind of... (laughs) something loses its sparkle somewhere along the line let's just say so um no in all seriousness I think it would be fair to say that the business is with us as our baby 24 7 and I am so grateful for the awareness and the skills in articulating where each of us are and our ability to hold space for the other you know, there are times when I'm down and Keith is up and other times when he's up and, and 
well, the other way around. Yeah, down, <laughs> when I'm down and you're up. Yeah, whatever. One of those. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I'm just thankful that we each have the skills to be able to respect and honour the difference uh, that each of us brings without needing to make the other wrong. I think that's a really key thing. Good point. And there must be temptation sometimes to to kind of slip back into business mode, which of course can have an effect on the relationship. So people have said that to me, it's hard not to personalize things when the person across the table from you is the person who's always across the table from you, even at work. How do you, how do you avoid that? That's, that's key. It is. I think you're absolutely right, Mark. And, um, you know, there is a, a, a question of balance that needs to come into that notion. And I think Tess, um, articulated it actually very well in terms of holding space because it, it it has changed and it does change things quite considerably. It mm-hmm. certainly has in our case. Yes. And I won't, again, speak for Tess, but I think some of the, the biggest things is because the field that we are involved in is so intense on occasions with some of the groups that we work with and the, the extensive travel that we have been involved in in our professional life has made things really doubly intensive on occasions. Would that be fair? I think so. So the jet lag, the lack of sleep, um, the, the, um, you know, traveling every weekend and then being in front of very senior groups during Mm. the week for five days on your feet, you know, it's so intense. And I think I I always remember back, Keith and I uh, had a life coaching session years ago when we were just getting together um, in the ashram in India together. Um, That's the the Osho ashram in Pune. In Pune. And we asked this life coach, she was an American woman, uh, if we were to set up business, what she would see as the biggest stumbling block for us. And she was such a wise woman because she said, when you create a business, it's like creating a baby together. And there will come points in time when one of you will want your baby to be one thing and one of you will want it to be something different. And because you each have so much emotionally invested in it, it will be a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think that those, those words of wisdom have always stayed with me. It's really echoed with me. And I think it, it's, well, I think to a large extent that man, the manifestation of that process has actually mm. become a reality, uh, certainly in, in the context of our relationship, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, rem- uh, just listening to you, I'm thinking of one of my favorite poets, and I'm not going to go all artistic here, but one of my favorite poets is, is Khalil Gibran. And one of one of his poems is beautiful. He says, "Let there be spaces, like, like something like the analogy is pillars." That's the one. That's the one. It's lovely. Okay, so if we go back in time, we you're working for some pretty significant organisations worldwide. You've a, a kind of a complement of strengths, and then at some point you decide to be part of a team which buys a company. What what? What sparked the interest to step away from what often people think are secure, career-driven roles uh, and away from the corporate world with some of the certainties that that has? Of course, things are different now with COVID. And to actually take the risk of doing your own thing. What was that thinking like where you said, now's the time to do our own thing and to, you know, I suppose, change gears? I think it's a very fair question. And it's... um I think it would be safe to say the decision to do that was very easy. 
it was very it was really easy and you're absolutely right you know to because when when we stepped away from uh, this was a company that i'd worked in for 10 years as their director of learning and od so i knew the company well i knew all the staff well it was it was it was a very successful mm. um mm. sme consulting firm and when when i when we both became owners and when i became an owner it was very clear to me that what I did with that was wanted to buy a space within which to develop the work that that I had certainly been known for over the years with the client portfolio that I developed within the company. And so when it came uh, three years later and we started to consider the ideas that formed the book Provoke, at the end of the day, it um, it was very clear that the other partners in the company wanted something dramatically different. And so the the decision to actually move on was a very easy decision. And I think largely because the both the writing of the book and the, the um, delivery of the ideas that we have around learning had become so polarized from where the business had historically come from. And so we negotiated a separation not just of the um, of our writing and intellectual property, but our client portfolio. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think you're right, Mark, to bring up you know to step into into the unknown. But we actually stepped into the unknown with a portfolio of about thirty Fortune five hundred companies that have remained utterly loyal to us and us to them. So we we left with a business ostensibly. Tess? Yes, I always remember um, signing on the dotted line our clo- our exit from the previous business on the Friday and on the Monday being on a flight out to Canada to start mm. our client delivery for our new company. Um, so it was a, an immediate transition into del- client delivery work in our new business. So it wasn't quite the, the, well, it was a scary step Mm. because we didn't know that all our clients would migrate with us. Uh, We were very thankful that every single one of them did. Uh, And of course, I mean, I guess previously when I left the body shop, I had set up my own freelance consulting business. So I knew how to set up a company and I knew how to get the account set up, the company name, all of the registration and governance pieces. So that was very straightforward for me. Um, And it was just so exciting because Mm. I think Keith Mm. and I by this stage were really clear on the possibility and the opportunity that we wanted to create together by that stage. Yeah. So your brand is Alchemy Worldwide. What, what does that stand for? And the big question for me is who needs what you do? Well, what it's, it stands for a whole host of things because Alchemy Worldwide is not just Tessa and I. Yeah. Um, we have, well, I certainly have over the past 20 years of traveling and working internationally built a a very significant group of people who you know i've both trained and developed and now who work with us so we have representatives across Mm -hmm. europe the middle east uh southeast asia and in the united states and canada uh, which is a network of people that we work with Mm -hmm. at at different times depending on which projects we happen to be these are training consultants 
These, yeah, well, these these are either psychologists or you know, learning and development specialists who, in their own right, have been very senior in the field. Yeah. Would that be fair, Tess? Yeah. And I think one of the things that's becoming clear, which started just as an idea for Keith and I and a, and a dream, really, was that we would build a global community of people who like to live what, what I would call the alchemic life, but who work from an open growth mindset of possibility and potential, who have the courage to take action in service of those dreams, whatever their dreams might be. You know, we have some alchemists amongst our community around the world who have set up their own yoga business, for example. They're not necessarily directly in our field, but they're living their life in a way of lifelong learning and a way of looking at the possibility and excitement and potential of life. Mm. And so alchemy just seemed such a great fit to look for the chemical possibilities that exist in relationships, in our humanness, where our, our similarities are far greater than our differences wherever we are around the world. Okay. So I suppose people listening to this now are quite clear on the brand. If I said, right, let's pull back the curtains and I say, what am I buying from Alchemy Worldwide? If I, if I whip out the, the card and say, I want you to help my organization, what am I buying when I engage you? Uh, you, you are buying a, a, a radical and very human approach to learning that, um, and when I say radical, uh, and I mean that in the purest sense of the word, we in our work, we, we make the intangible real from a perspective that if you were to speak to any of our clients or even have the opportunity to read the book and some of the reviews on the back of the book, um, you know, we're purchased because there is something that we do which is very different. You know, I've been employed in business schools and I've conducted and managed large traditionally learning and development functions and activities what we've created here is uh is an integration that goes to the heart of identity in learning in in the corporate arena and the way that it's done i think is the the best way to describe it from my perspective is dramatic art we um intentionally make an art form of learning so if i can put that into um a more tangible context perhaps Classically, the kinds of work that we would do is we would work with senior exec and leadership teams in, in business, sometimes in entrepreneurial startup businesses, but more usually in large global corporate teams. We will work with them on a range of different content. So they may be wanting to develop strategy. They may be wanting to develop skills in strategic thinking and planning. They may be wanting to do leadership development work or um, team alignment work. Anything that involves the psychology of human development and growth, uh, we get involved with client relationship management, client development uh, we'll work with. But fundamentally, the piece that Keith is describing is the way that we work. I think we'll come to that. But again, this would really help people is to say, you know, what does that mean? Um, is it resilience? Is it, so leadership is clear and you're working with senior teams. That's also clear. And you're also selling this to large multinational organizations. What kinds of challenges 
if we can bring this to the kind of pointy end, what kinds of challenges do those organizations have where you can say, this is what you need? Okay, mergers and acquisitions would be one. Yeah, if, uh, if an organization is reinventing itself or realigning itself or getting focused. So, for example, one client piece of work we did, um, they wanted to find their drive and their passion again. Um, we worked with a chief exec out of Singapore where his 28 chief execs from around the Asia-Pacific region uh, had lost their pioneering spirit. Uh, and so that was our brief. We want you to work with our senior leadership team of 28 chief execs across Asia yeah. to help them dis rediscover their pioneering spirit. Right. So this is almost strategic paradigm shifting stuff. Yes, that's yes. absolutely right, yes. Mark. And, you know, I mean, and depending on the context. So, for example, with executive boards, we've worked with the executive boards in the 43 countries. Yes. We've worked with translators. We've worked in in Mandarin, in SOE, which is Beijing, um, uh, Shanghai and Hong Kong. And the interesting thing about working with so many cultures across South America as well, Mexico yeah. and Brazil. Um, so we've had a huge level of cultural experience in applying some of these principles as they go along. And uh, it's been fascinating. So... You know, anyone has to sit in a marriage in a merger and acquisition uh, activity where you you've got two CEOs, you only want one. <laughs> you've got two CFOs, you're only going to want one. Yeah. Someone's got the power, and someone is not going to be there, and that can get pretty sticky. Unless, of course, you're BlackBerry, in which you've, you've case you've got two CEOs and it doesn't work out. You exactly. got it. You got it. We've worked exactly. in organizations where that's been the, the norm and it simply didn't work. So that's the kind of level we get involved in. And it's the also the level where the kinds of conversations that you have with this group of people um, re require a huge amount of I don't know if you've ever read the book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> oh, all the time, yes. Yeah, I probably would. <laughs> strike me as the kind of person that would, Mark. When I can't sleep. There's a particular <laughs> section in there which is about gumption. Yes. They call it gumption. That's a very English word, isn't it? Gumption. It's a very English word. And, and what you need to do this work is plenty of gumption yeah. and the ability to think and act really quickly. Yes. <laughs> so you've mentioned provoke which we'll come to because i think that's something i really want to to focus on but thinking of of how you sell what you do the book aside that's something i think many people almost obsess about which is i'm leaving the corporate world i know i do great stuff but how do i communicate this to people what what, what how do i market what i do because marketing is a huge aspect of starting up your own business, getting that message out there. How do you sell what you do to the right kinds of people for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we have social media, you know, the LinkedIn and Facebook, and we have people who work for us that are involved in that. But, you know, I've often made statements to pretty senior folk in some of the big financial investment banks, and they've asked that question. And I said, you know, I don't think I've ever sold anything selling in my life almost all of the work that we do are with clients that we've had relationships with for over 20 years but i also think you know when i think about 
two new clients that we've taken on in, in the past couple of years. One of them asked us to come in and do a strategic paradigm shift workshop in a day and a half. <laughs> and our response to them in our very first meeting with this chief exec was, don't waste your money. You're not talking about a day and a half workshop. You're talking about a three-year transformation program. And another client who came to us this year um, and wanted us to develop a particular series of programs for their senior leaders. Um, and at this time during lockdown, a UK-based company, uh, we phoned her up and uh, we said, we've been looking online and the CIPD are offering really good quality programs free of charge right now. Why don't you get your leaders to go through one of those? So we will put what we believe is in the best interest of the client at the forefront of the inter interventions that we make, mm. often at the expense of our own revenue, because our revenue is the last thing that we think about. What we're concerned about is helping to support the individual client it, within their client system to achieve what they aspire mm. to deliver. I think that's absolutely right. And I think one of the greatest challenges in certainly in the the business of, of learning and development that has been prominent for many years, I don't know to, to a large extent that I've heard many people challenge it. But what I'm going to say now, I am sure that some of your listeners will immediately recognize the validity of what I'm going to say, is when you, you'll have a client who, with the best will in the world, will want to you to come in with their group of leaders, make them charismatic, have plenty of presence and impact and do it in three days, but then cut it down to a day, put the rest online and hope that that will work. It, it is palpable nonsense to expect that those kinds of interventions are likely to deliver that kind of an outcome. And that, so that there becomes an unconscious orthodoxy that sits in the language of learning and development, which is why, and to a large extent, so many interventions never actually deliver what they set out to deliver is because the agenda is one, cognitive, mm. and two, can never be achieved in that time frame. And it's having that courage to push back and say to your prospective client, look, um, I'm glad you you like what we do, but we can actually do what we do under those circumstances for that budget in that time frame for these people. Absolutely right. Go yeah. go find somebody. Yeah. In all consciousness, yeah. In all consciousness, it's not not the right thing. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, in response to your question about how do we sell, I think we sell by being brutally honest about how we can help uh, and what's needed by the contribution on our client system mm. to make it a success because it's not a one-way street. Yeah, You know, if they want to have massive behavior change or culture change in their organization, then the people in the business themselves, their leadership teams have got to role model the cultural shift that they want to mm. see. It's mm. not someone else's problem. Um, so there has to be a level of honesty and authenticity in the conversations that we have with mm. our clients. Mm. And I think they respect us for that, don't they? Yes, they do. And I guess some of this this thinking um, has informed and influenced the book, which, which you've mentioned, Provoke. So before we come to the, the, the business aspect of the book, and I'm, I'm quite keen on talking to you about that, what is in the book? Why the title Provoke? 
and what does this methodology or content actually extol or promote or explain? The the, the book itself began as an um, two things. It began as an idea, and it began as uh, as an expression of experience. I'd put that in tangible terms. Was that you know when I. Uh, it was written from a point of fact that after about 40 years in uh, in the field of psychology, we used to have a lot of clients mm-hmm. who would certainly say, certainly say to me, uh, Keith, we'd love you to write down how you do what you do. Nobody does it quite like this, blah, 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 blah. And it actually became a synthesis, both in terms of my clinical work and organizational work. And the conversation that I began to have was, First of all, how do I synthesize these these things? Because in, in the clinical field of psychology and psychiatry, it's way different to organizational life. Although it would be fair to say that there have been some people that I've met in organizational life <laughs> that would fit the Sharks in Suits book, which is the sociopathic senior leaders that some of the people that we've met over the years but it became a, a really an expression and an examination of an idea. And that gave Ruth Tessa w- was profound in her contribution to this work. But that's what it really was and what it became. Um, and it took four years to bring this to life. So the book is called Provoke. It's called The Art of Transformative Facilitation. Now, if I hear that, my instant thought is this is for people who want to not just train people, but facilitate learning. And the subtitle is creating dynamic learning in the corporate world. Let's take, let's take that for a moment. What, what does that mean? Transformative facilitation. And secondly, how we create dynamic learning in the corporate world. And the reason I'm asking this is because if someone wants to read this book, I would imagine from the cover, they want to improve how they as training providers get results for their clients. Is that Right. You got it. You got it. And it's not the way you think, Mark. Tess is itching to get in here. So I think, Tess, away you go. Fill your boots. Yeah, I have this challenge sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So um, one of the things that we realised in the writing of Provoke was that the field that we work in is the field of transformative learning with individuals. And that doesn't matter whether it's in a learning context or whether we're doing a leadership team engagement, alignment or development intervention, that fundamentally change is learning. And if we are to create transformation, not change, but real transformation, what we have to do is to work with individuals at a level of identity, at a level of their sense of who they know or believe themselves to be. So what we see is that personal effectiveness comes from a really deep internal place. And when we work in any form of learning intervention with an organization, we work with the individual participants And I use the term individual participants because each individual comes to the table with a different personality, different preferences, a different history. They have made different decisions about themselves and who they believe themselves to be and what they believe themselves to be capable of in their life. And it's incredible the degree to which 
We all create our own set of defenses that we've developed over years to keep us safe and to keep us solid and grounded. And there are times when we have to allow those defenses to fall away. And transformation happens at the point when we reach a point where we realize that what we thought we knew isn't actually what we know and that there is more that we can know that we don't yet know. Unknown unknowns, to paraphrase uh, Donald Rumsfeld. (laughs) We work in the field of the unknown unknown. And for any facilitator who has ever worked with an individual or a group in the field of the unknown unknown, it's really scary territory. It's unpredictable. You have to have courage. You've got to be willing to really step into this unknown journey with them when you have no way of knowing what the outcome is going to be. Um, And so what we provide within uh, Provoke, within the book, is our own unique methodology, which provides both a process and a set of contexts within which human transformation can occur. Mm. Right. So the intention behind the book and, and for many people, this is uh, an interesting angle, is not to sell the book as, as a source of revenue, but to actually generate interest. So it becomes a lead generation tool. Or someone said to me, it's a $25 business card. You got it. Yeah. That's exactly what it is, Mark. Yeah. And you've turned this into a business. So let's talk about that, how you've done that, how this book has led to actually cold, hard revenue. Well, what we wanted to do, what the book goes some way to do is to explain some of the reasons why the interventions that we propose simply cannot be done in 45-minute virtual download sessions, for example, um, because it goes into the human makeup and the psychology of human defense systems, um, the whole way systems operate and work together. It looks at the facilitator as an individual and our own internal landscape uh, uh, that we are working with as facilitators and the degree to which they can interrupt our efficiency and our our process in working with others. Uh, So it goes into a lot of um, quite complex uh, therapeutic and psychological um, uh, models and details. Now, not wanting to turn really practical people off because at the same time, it also provides some really specific how-tos yeah, that's key. Um, in, in the nature mm. of it. And that that is important. Uh, and now I've completely forgotten what your that's original question was. That's all right. I can pick, up, pick it up from there, Tess. <laughs> yeah, it's how we turn this into a business. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Turning it into a business. The one of the there are two things actually. One of the things about the, the book is that it's grounded in humanity, and the second thing is is that it's grounded in the drama of organisational life. And I I use those two terms because organisational life is dramatic. It's dramatic in the incredible um, things that organisations produce. Correspondingly, it is dramatic in the toxicity that uh, can be developed in organizations that really have dramatic effects on people's mental health. Mm. So that's one thing. The second thing that the, the book has in terms of turning it into a business, and Tess has already alluded to this, is the originality of the method that's in there. 
And so the methodology itself the of what's called the T8, the transformative methodology that sits in there, is unique in almost every respect. One, it's a three-dimensional tool that examines the f- process of facilitation and learning from a relational standpoint, which hasn't been written about before. And the second thing that it does, and I think to your point, is that People who have read the book or sponsors who have read the book have been utterly intrigued Mm -hmm. by what's been proposed there because, um, you know, I can I can very easily shout for hours about the, the wonders of the book that we wrote. But the testaments on the back of the book and the testimonials that we have received uh, have been utterly thrilling and and humbling and humbling in equal measure. Uh, uh, as to the impact that this writing has had. And, and that's key, isn't it? So if, if you have a book and it, it sounds like it's been very expensive and, of course, time-consuming, and, of course, you're co-writing the book, which another is another dynamic in itself, but ultimately this thing, you, you would agree, has brought in money. You can actually say conclusively having this book has led to training business coming to us, consultancy work. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we've we developed a number of opportunities off the back of the original writing of the book. Um, so we are regularly invited to interview on podcasts such as yours. Um, we are asked to go and speak at conferences. Yeah. Uh, we were asked to develop a series of learning seminars to take people up through the levels of complexity of the work so that curriculum you know has been halted for 2020 but will be back on the stocks as soon as people are able to travel and come to a shared venue for us to train this work face to face so we are doing a series and curriculum of seminars um, and we've uh, we're just about in fact we are just in the process of launching a provoke book club so if people follow us through linkedin or through our social mm. media or go on to our website you'll see the book club is now being promoted which will be a series of um eight two-hour live webinars with Keith and I uh, between now and Christmas, starting on the 2nd of November, I think. Um, So there are a whole host of different avenues to revenue which are emerging, many of them by specific request of people who have come close to us as a result of either reading the book or working with us. Yeah, and we we also uh, maintain a community of practice of people who have worked with us in the past who are fascinated by this approach to learning and the the strap line of creating dynamic learning is not an understatement uh, (laughs) at all it's very real and uh, and and very dramatic and and so people's um people's interest in that and people's commitment to that has been proven for quite some time now so we run Mm. continuous groups of um learning professionals who are intrigued by this work so the audience for the book, I mean, if I pick this up as someone who is has a training business, a small training business, um, the kind of person who would read this would be someone who perhaps has some perspective into the the learning needs of a large organization. It's, it's perhaps not something that would make sense for an SME. Is it more for global corporates that that the transformates? Not necessarily. Okay. No, it's, 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 it's far more generic than that. It's more to do with how people think about the process of learning 
irrespective of whether it's not-for-profit, whether it's charity, whether it's SME or large global corporates. The, to understand that is to understand something about the methodology that is explained in the book and how that is then applied through, in, through individual practitioners. So it's not a book that is formulaic in the sense of saying, you know, there are eight dimensions within which the transformative experience shows up. And in number one, you must do this. In number two, you must mm -hmm. do this. That's not it. It's how you, Mark Hayes or Tessa Sharp, imprint your own personality within these dimensions. And what that also shows up is where the developmental areas sit as well. So it's a developmental tool for the facilitator and it's only for the facilitator. Uh, it is. And the, the interesting thing, so if you think about the target audience, we were originally thinking uh, trainers, OD facilitators, uh, facilitators of any kind, uh, leaders potentially, commissioners of learning. But what's also shown up in the seminars that we've held so far, we've had change managers on there, we've had HR business partners, we've had client leaders on there, we've had project managers on there. Anyone who is involved in facilitating change or transformation in some way can take learning and take insight from this mm, work for sure right, and would you would you say to someone listening to this it's worth investing time money to write a book which sets out your stall explains your methodology and attracts your ideal client okay I, you know mark in the it took four years to write this book and and actually the, the, we actually began on our honeymoon <laughs> Which, How romantic. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, yeah, it was, it was, yes, I, I thought it was a great honeymoon myself. I thought it was brilliant. Um, but that was where it, that was where we actually began to, to for the first time to put these these words down in, on paper. And um, would I advise someone to do it? It's a journey quite unlike any other. And that's all that I can say. I learned heaps and masses about myself in writing a book um, of, of something that appeared on the face of it so complex that I really could not figure out how I was going to how I was going to get this down, but eventually I did. Yeah, and I think that that's a great point. Is that it, it, there's more to just putting words on pages. It's it's the intention behind it. It's being clear that you're not going to wake up and be on the cover of the or the top of the New York Times bestseller list. You might be, but that's not the point. The point is having a system or methodology which you can explain to other people such that they see you as an authority and therefore want to engage with you. But expanding that, it has led to opportunities. It's led to webinars, invitations to podcasts. And of course, I think once you have people coming to you inbound, then you're not spinning your wheels outbound. You're not spending time chasing people the book almost brings people to you um it does and i haven't done this yet but i'm i'm in the process of planning mine which of course is a whole really is a head-wrecking exercise unless you've got some guidance yeah head-wrecking is a good description head-wrecking would just about sum it <laughs> I, up i think i think i think one of the other things though mark as well is that um what, apart from the sheer pain of learning how to write a book and getting your head-wrecking thoughts in a, in a row to write it, uh, is what it has given us is a story. It has given us a narrative that we can bring to the table because so often, I mean, 
if you're in the industry of training, there are a million, million, million trainers out there all vying for the same piece of work. And so, you know, what the clients want to know is what's unique about you? And if you have a book, it's this is what we're about. We are specialists in transformative learning. Now, if you'd asked me that five years ago, I wouldn't have had that. Mm. Um, so it, it gives you a really tangible story and gives you clarity about what you're clear about in life, in your professional well, And it's, it sounds to me like you're, you're saying, and forgive me if I'm paraphrasing um, too much here, but it sounds to me like you're saying, having had to go through the process of putting something into something tangible, it's helping you to clarify what it is you actually stand for, what you do. Oh, completely. Completely. Yeah. Yes. And, and, yes. and that's got clearer and clearer. We, did, we had the book launch at the Royal Society in London, which was uh, just down from Buckingham Palace. And that was a tremendous evening uh, of celebration from clients and friends who had been part of this journey. We then had a book launch in Singapore, then we went to New York, and then we had another one in Toronto. And the the things that happened from that, and you talk about the, the spinning plates and how the universe from the position of the law of attraction started to work in a different way was um, – then we found that the book had been as a finalist in best business book of the year 2020 and is the first facilitation book ever to make the, the final cut. And that was from the first book that we'd ever written. So, um, I mean, and that changed everything again. Yeah, really. but there, there is something that I do want to add here. And if, you know, any of your listeners are thinking about starting to think about their ideas for their first book and how they could use it to develop their business. What I would say absolutely is just take the first step. Don't try and have the whole business development strategy mapped no, out in a no, clear linear right. process ahead of you because you'll just terrify yourself and you never know who you're going to meet. I mean, if we think about you and Keith and I, I mean, the three of us had never met before a week ago. And yet, you know, we were introduced to each other through a lady that we have been in contact with for three years on the other side of the Pacific. So I just find it, Atlantic even, I just find mm -hmm. it fascinating that you never quite know what the next step is going to lead you to. And if you just take that next step, it's amazing what yeah. happens. It, it is remarkable. And there's just something, Mark, I hope I don't take you too far um off direction i think um it is is the, the part about learning how to write a book i don't know if you or any of your listeners have thought about such an endeavor or undertaken what i did which was to google how to write a book really quickly <laughs> um which comes back with a whole host of um rather useful and completely useless pieces of information <laughs> which really didn't work for me at all and so um the, the the it's not just the complexity of writing a book but understanding where inside of you the book comes from and that is something that is utterly intangible and so there were periods of writing this book where i would spend days and days and not produce anything then i would write and maybe i'd get two hours of really good quality stuff and then the rest of it would would just be binned um so that sounds it's, familiar. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's for anyone who's thinking about doing it, it's not what you think. Writing a book is absolutely not what you think. It ain't like writing a thesis or university papers at all, <laughs> I can tell you that. But it's IP, isn't it? It's intellectual property. And I think for people who are, you know, concerned about, you know, do I have to forever stand in front of people? And Tess, I think, summed it up really well, you know, when she said it, it's, it, it provides the opportunity to tell a story which becomes more, more clearer and clearer the more times you tell it. Yeah. And, of course, keeping an open mind, you're right. People cannot possibly predict the, the avenues it will lead you down, but I'd say they're a lot more exciting than just being in the same field as everyone else and not being able to differentiate yourself. It's a rarefied field when you can say, I'm not just a trainer, I'm an author. And then people go, really? So what, what is your angle? Where's your book? Having one is, is not just, it's actually almost more important than having an idea. And someone said to me, actually, I've written a book, but people don't read it. It's the fact that I have one. That's what opens yes. doors. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think it would be fair to say I didn't write it. For, or we didn't write it for other people. We wrote no. it for ourselves, really. <laughs> but, you know, it is interesting because I, I didn't set out to write a book that was provocative. I really didn't. I, I, I wrote, I set out to write a book that was in a direct expression of my experience in learning. And what I had seen was really shifted beyond a cognitive appreciation of a new idea or a new model, or that sounds interesting, or so what are you going to do today that's different? What are you going to do Monday that's different? And give me your your you know your learning plan as it goes on in the future. And, but the interesting thing was when we uh, really began to research the book and interview people, very senior people, lots of them, who contributed to the book, and I think I may have said this to you before, but I'll say it again, that, um, you know, not one of them cited a learning and development intervention or an MBA program as the major contributors to their learning of being great leaders in this world. Not one of them. They created um, their leadership out of a constellation of human experiences that were about who they are as a person and what their identity said to them about how they show up in the world how they choose to show up in the world. Yeah, the narrative, having a personal brand. The, 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 the yeah. narrative. And the, the interesting thing about that, Mark, is that you know the learning and development intervention that needs to get to that place is not something that can actually be done on a PowerPoint slide. Amen. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No, I've, I think many people have had their fair share of, of um, Zoom fatigue and, and being tortured to death with with endless slides and when you see people yawning you think okay for goodness sake um we need to change gears here but the book is is really intriguing and on that topic i will have alison jones who is the principal of a business which helps people to create a business book and she'll be on the show in october and i think it's a very interesting time particularly covid people have had time over the past couple of months to reflect on what they're doing. Some people have started brands, others podcasts, others books. So in a way, people have begun to say, what are people doing when they're not at work? The downtime, if we can look at COVID in a positive light, it's given people perhaps the space to create something which helps to sell them um, beyond just their training material. It's it's their narrative, it's their story, it's their brand. And that's a very intriguing angle right now. I'm, I'm really thrilled you've done this. I'm looking forward to reading the book. 
And when I come across books that, that change me, not just change what I do, but change me, I think that's a great sign. So it's not about the actual, the, the words on the page, it's the effect of the words on the page. And th those, those things go beyond you like pebbles in a pool. When you can almost see people uh, changing what they do and why they do what they do, I think that's a really transformative book. And of course, your methodology is Transformate, which matches beautifully with your brand. Was that intentional, Transformate? Uh, it, it was to some degree, it, it, most definitely. Uh, we had uh, two editors who worked with us on the book itself. And um, I think it was a combination of, a, of all of us that came up with the name. But there's another part to the book that underscores this. When the producers of the book uh, got some idea of the backstory, they they were very keen that the backstory be part of the book, which is the story that I told as part of the introduction, because they found it both odd and intriguing. But the part of the book that actually illustrates that is that there is in the book a reference to the Enzo. And the Enzo is a Zen Buddhist um, circle. And when you read the book, there is a, just a very small piece that is attributed to that. And that will tell you everything you need to know about the Transformate methodology. So there is um, a, a very interesting synthesis that takes place in there uh, in, in ways that I certainly haven't seen written about before. Tess and Keith, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Thank you for both making time to speak to me jointly as guests on the Training Business Podcast. Where can people find out more about you and your book? Okay, so if they go on to www.alchemyww.com, that's short for Alchemy Worldwide, um, you will see there that there is, uh, in the homepage, there's a header slot where they can click a link on to uh, purchase the book either from amazon.co.uk or from our own website where we can ship it direct. Either is absolutely fine with us. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, if you go to the website and to the contact us button, you can get through at info at alchemyww.com. And we'd love to hear from anyone who has any comments or questions about our work. Many thanks, Tess and Keith. Thank you. Thank you thanks so much, Mark. Thanks to Keith and Tessa for being my guests today and for spending so much time with me and, of course, with you as listeners to the show. And thank you to you for your time today. It's been a pleasure having you here. I hope you'll come back next week because we have fresh episodes of the show every single Thursday. And, of course, the goal or remit of these shows, whether it's just you and I or whether it's with guests, it's to help you to really understand and get to grips with topics which help you to transform what you do into business opportunities. And for that reason, I always welcome suggestions from listeners. Many of the guests and the topics on the show so far have been from people just like you who say, hey, Mark, could we have X on the show? Or why don't we have time to you know, focus on this particular topic? Or could we have someone who can address this particular challenge? And for that reason, I really find these exciting because it helps me to understand what you need from the show on your training business journey and the kinds of content and people who can help you get there. For that reason, you can reach out to me or contact me on mark at trainingbusiness.com. That's my email address. I will reply to you personally. I read those emails and reply to you personally. 
Of course, there's a fresh episode next Thursday when you'll find that on your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many, many more, at least 30 different platforms. So please subscribe to the show and I'll catch you next week. Until then, keep selling and stay safe. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.